It is Thursday, September 16th. Welcome to Menace to Sports. I am Zach Smith, your host. Episode 162 at the 10th episode of the 2021 football season. And it is, I'm not going to say it's time to move on because if you're a Buckeye fan, the time is not now to move on. The Buckeyes, I read somewhere, it's time to move on. What a reporter put out, it's time to move on to the Tulsa game. No, it's not. No, it's not. The opponent that Ohio State has these next two weeks are their train wreck issues. That is what they're game planning against, working on. They have to fix the shit that is just flat, I mean, catastrophic going on in the program these next two weeks because, honestly, their third string could beat Tulsa and beat Akron. That They just could. Maybe not their third string with Tulsa, but their second string definitely could. So there should be no issue in either of these games. It's a matter of fixing the issues on defense, fixing little things on offense, building confidence in a game like this. So we're going to get to that in a minute. I don't want to keep talking about it, but you're not going to hear analytics about Tulsa's defense. I don't give a shit, and nor should you. It doesn't matter. What we're going to watch on Saturday, we're going to watch the Scarlet and Gray. We're going to see how they play, how the Buckeye defense plays. How does Taraja Mitchell play? Does Zach Harrison dominate a far inferior opponent? Because there's some teams on this list, like we're going to talk about Auburn today. They, their uh, score so far in 2021 is like 122 to 10. They played freaking Kent State and Alabama State, so they played no one. But that's what we should have for the next two weeks. 62 to nothing, 60 to 10, st- scores like that. So that, that we're, Ohio State is playing someone this week and playing someone next week, and they're playing their own inadequacies, their own issues. So we're going to talk about all that. I just had to get off that, get that off my chest right away. Uh, we're also going to talk about USC. What went wrong at USC? We're going to talk about Ohio State, or I mean, uh, we're going to talk about Penn State, Auburn. We'll talk about Florida, Alabama. It's a big matchup. Big matchup in the SEC. Quick notes on Nebraska plays Oklahoma. Uh, Cincinnati plays Indiana, which should be a huge game for Luke Fickle to kind of notch a, a win against a Power Five team. That should be huge. And uh, so, so really a good weekend of football. But uh, also want to mention the the charging on lane tailgate that we that we put on, uh, which was a wild success. It was awesome. We had so much fun. 100, I think we had 125 people show up with minimal promotions. And, and I mean, other than my social media and Braxton's every now and then. But we're, we're, we're going to do them for the Penn State game. That's been done. Now we're launching it. We're going to do it for the Akron Knight game and the Maryland game. So we're going to do four. And if those and if it keeps growing, we might add on the Purdue and Michigan State game. So we'll let you know. But check that out. Uh, the link will come tomorrow, maybe by the time you listen to this. Uh, the Akron t- tailgate, charging on lane the, at the point, right next to Varsity Club. Pictures on my social media. A lot of stuff coming out. Really awesome time. 50 bucks, all you can eat. Two drink tickets. I mean, the value is, is incredible. So make sure you stay tuned and check that out also uh college football we're like 14 and 2 on menace to picks so check out at menace to picks on twitter and instagram and we have a patreon if you're interested in the handicapping advice and the cards daily cards uh, i'm really into the weekend cards but you guys might be into some soccer bets and some thursday night nfl bets tonight with the giants and washington football team the r word the redskins not allowed to say it um but anyways that's all the house cleaning enough about that let's get to the show Watches downfield. It's Olave. He's got a touchdown. Ohio State. Why am I talking to you? You're not even in football. Yeah. Did you even play to the high school level? You took journalism. It's a bunch of nerds interrupting people who know what they're doing. <laughs> it goes to the corner, dies to the corner. He didn't get there. No, they say he did. And Indiana wins. 
the commissioner could literally punt a baby with his wingtips on. I'm still gonna watch on Sunday. Looking for the deep ball. Touchdown, Ohio State. Garrett Olson. I don't condone the man's actions, but it's football. I have to watch it. This is all I have. On first down, it's Brees Hall. He doesn't go down. He might go all the way. He stays on his feet again and scores. I wasn't going to hit a woman, but then that guy in the Ravens did it, so I guess it's okay. So here we are, Southern Cal. We've talked about it. Uh, Clay Helton was fired. First one falls at, after week two, which is wildly early. Uh, makes you wonder why they didn't make this decision before, you know, after last year because the, the rumors were certainly there. Obviously, when a team or a, an athletic department, an athletic director fires their head coach, regardless of what happened. I mean, they lost to Stanford. That was a bad loss. That was in the back of their mind. Like, he had to have a ridiculous season this year to save his job. So I don't know why, why they waited and didn't do it last year and let this be year one of a rebuild, right? Because the fall from grace of two of the powerhouse programs of 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago even some, so about 15 years ago, USC and Texas, it's amazing. I, I read someone, I can't remember who it was, it's an NFL draft analyst and scout uh, former NFL GM, who I can't remember who it was. But anyways, they, they made the comment on social media that when they got in the industry, the top two teams when it came to opening day rosters in the NFL, top two colleges were USC and Texas. And now, I mean, completely fell off a cliff. I read uh, USC right now is outside of the top 20 represented colleges on opening day rosters in the NFL, which is absolutely wild. And so it made me think, like, what went wrong? What happened? And what is the fix, right? Southern Cal, you're talking about a giant in the history of college football. I mean, back in the Rose Bowl days with Woody Hayes, Earl Bruce, even then Pete Carroll takes over and Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner. We know they were doing some shady shit, but so is everyone else. Let's not use that as an excuse like they cleaned it up and now they can't get recruits. They're in freaking Hollywood, man. They're on the red carpet. If you go to USC and they're good and you're a star, you're going to be like dating Megan Fox and shit like that. Like you can't get that in Tuscaloosa, Alabama or Columbus, Ohio. Like they have the, the makings of an absolute monster. And so what happened? And so I went back and looked. I said, all right, th there's two reasons a program like that isn't doing well, right? One is recruiting, two is development. Either they're not getting players and or they're not developing people, right? So you, I looked at their class rankings, right? Last year's class was actually pretty solid. It was a top 10 class, number seven, number two in the Pac-12, respectable. And then you get into 2020, the 64th ranked class in the United States of America, 12th in the Pac-12, dead last at USC, two, two classes ago, behind Duke, Rutgers, Wake Forest, Arizona, Kansas, Washington State, Vanderbilt. Like, that should, I don't care if you take 10 guys. Your class at USC should finish above Kansas and Vanderbilt. What are we talking about? They had two four-stars. Everyone else was lower. And I, I, a lot of people say recruiting rankings don't matter. I think they kind of matter. I mean, I don't think they're always perfect and always right. They don't have high level. Some of them are pretty, are pretty damn good at evaluation. But I would say as a whole, they don't have high level evaluators evaluating the country. But all in all, I mean, they're not always far off, right? 2019, they had the 20th ranked class in the country, fourth in the Pac-12. And then 2018, the fourth best country uh, class in the country, number one in the Pac-12. So they've had some players. They had a... a an average year in 2019, an awful year in 2020, bounced back in 2021. So they have talent there, and we knew that. 
We knew that. Then you then you look at, all right, how have they been developed? Not only wins on the field, how have they been developed as a team? We know that has been poor, right? So you look at who got drafted, and I always look at top three rounds, right? Because a six-round pick is a good college player, but you you don't win championships and and become a nationally relevant team on top or on, on a six-round guy or a team full of six-round guys, right? You do it on top three-round picks. You look at national champions, right? LSU, after they won it all, a million top three-round picks. Alabama, a million. Back when we won it, a million. I think we had 10 or something. We had more. It was insane. So, and that was the 2015 year. So 2014 and 15 together, it was insane. So look at their draft classes, top three rounds. 2021, they had one kid. 2020, two kids. 2019, one kid. 2018, four kids. 2017, two kids. 2016, three kids in the top three rounds, right? In comparison, Ohio State had six, seven, five, five, six, ten players go in the top three rounds. That's the difference, right? The three, like you look at the three-year trend, right? In the last three years, uh, USC has had what four kids go in the top three rounds. Ohio State has never had four or less go in the top three rounds in one year, let alone three years. Ohio State had eighteen first, second, and third round picks over the last three years. Eighteen compared to four. So that is the issue, right? It is not, not only could they recruit better. I mean, it's USC, but it's development. They're not developing NFL players. They're not developing the talent they bring in. They're not certainly not developing a team, certainly not developing an offense and defense, but they're also not developing players. That is the issue in, at Southern Cal right now, and that's the issue that needs fixed. They need, a, they need to have a sports science development program. And then they need to recruit their nuts off. I mean, you, and we already talked about it last episode, but the kids from Southern Cal that play across the country, it's like, my gosh, if you can get half of those kids, you're going to be loaded and then develop them in the, in the weight, in the weight room as coaches, football IQ, football fundamentals, all of that. USC has lacked development more than recruiting. So they need a great football coach. They don't need a great recruiter. They need a great football coach. And the two names that I think are on an inside track to get that job are is Eric Bieniemy and James Franklin. And I think they're two opposites. I don't think Penn State does a phenomenal job of developing players. If you look at their track record, their history, I mean, they've had some freaks like Saquon Barkley, who was just that freaking good. And he developed some, but my God, his freshman year, he was a stud. So let's not act like he came in and got developed. It wasn't like some guys like Michael Thomas, whose freshman year, he wasn't great. And then he became a great player, right? Developed into one. I don't think James Franklin is a developer, I think he's a, a a good head coach that is a good recruiter, and if you give him the USC allure, he could have, he could be really successful there. I don't know if he's a developer. Eric Bieniemy is completely unknown, right? NFL coach. I mean, he brings that name to recruiting. He brings us, you know, a great. They will have great scheme. They will. He will probably hire a great staff. It's going to come down to how does he build his development pillar of his program. So those are the two names I see: James Franklin, Eric Bieniemy. You could save all the other names. There'll probably be another NFL name or two that comes up. PJ Fleck goes out there. Sorry, USC is going to be right where they are right now. Luke Fickle ain't taking that job. Matt Campbell ain't taking that job. And if they do, they're not a good fit. I don't see that working out. I think it's James Franklin and Eric Bieniemy. Those are the two I, I said. Well, I didn't say Eric Bieniemy a year ago, but I've said James. Franklin every time this job came up 
And so I think that's that's where they're at. That that's that's what they need to focus on. They need to focus on someone that has a great development plan and will be a good recruiter and can hire great recruiters on his staff. That's what they need at USC. You want to fix the problem. You want to make the West Coast relevant again. USC needs to be a big time program. For them to be a big time program, they need to recruit California and the West Coast really well. Not not like Alabama level, but they need to recruit it really well. Then they need to develop these kids. I mean, shit, there, there is no one in the, I mean, they're going to have to beat Oregon every year. Who else? Arizona State? I mean, who are they going to have to beat to win the Pac-12? They, they should be able to go 12-0 and and win the Pac-12 if they beat Oregon. And if they don't, they're 11-1 and 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 don't win the Pac-12. And you're still talking about they're a bubble team. That's what USC should be year in, year out. Okay, UCLA's having a good year. Okay, is that is that going to become a trend? Did Chip, Chip Kelly finally turn it around? I guess we'll see. But it, USC has the inside track. They have the advantage, right? They're like the kid that was born on third base, rich in, 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 in a mansion. Like they have the advantage over everyone in the Pac-12. Oregon has some Nike money. That's about it. Everyone else should be trying to catch USC. So that's that's my thought. Just wanted to throw that out there before we get into kind of my Ohio State final analysis leading into this week and then talk about some football games. So let's talk about Ohio State. What, what I've always learned in my career, and this is a big Urban Meyer thing, is when there is an issue, right, there's evidently a major issue on defense. The first thing you do is you identify the problem, identify the issue, then you fix the issue, right? Those are the two things you have to do. And it's it's a simplistic world we live in to, to say that, but for some reason, when you get high-level professionals, right, with egos and resumes, those two simple things are two of the most difficult things to do, identifying what is the actual issue and then fixing the fucking issue. Those are the two hard things to do, especially when you deal with big egos because of success, right? That is, that's what's really hard at a place like Ohio State. I brought it up on uh, on my show on YouTube. If you haven't checked it out, go to our YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Menace of Sports. Hit subscribe. We had, a, had an episode, The Coach and the Bullet. We talked about why does Nick Saban never have these issues? Why? And if you've already listened to the episode, you might want to skip 30 seconds. Nick Saban never has these issues with hires because he always is filtering from the bottom up. And this was a big, big corporate structure deal that, that a, a guy named Hiram DeFreeze advised Urban on. You don't bring in outside people all the time, right? The best way to build a, a, a system and, and, a, and a company and an organizational chart is to bring guys in the bottom and filter them and develop them up to the top because then you have alignment, you have your program intact, and that is what Nick Saban does well. He doesn't often bring in a name as offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, right? Usually, it, almost always, actually, it's a promotion from within. So much so that if you get fired from anywhere, all the time, I mean, across the country, Butch Jones, Mike Loxley, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, right? You name it, Tosh.0, Tosh Lapoy. These guys that were big names in college coaching, they get fired and they go work for Nick Saban as an analyst. Why? One, so they can see how he does things. That's a selfish reason they go. Nick Saban gets to watch them, evaluate them, figure out who fits his mold, who can be that next big-time position coach or big time coordinator, right? And then when he promotes them and moves them up the ranks, it works every time. Like when is the last time you said, wow, Saban needs to fire his coordinator or his DB coach? Like when is that, when is the last time that happened? I guess Josh Gaddis, 
who was a pass game coordinator, didn't really have final say, and he, he didn't fire him. Josh Gaddis, quote-unquote, left for Michigan. But it just never hire, happens to Saban. And I wanted to throw that out there because I think that is the model that everyone's missing out on. Ryan Day has two quality control guys or analysts, whatever you want to say. Paul Rhodes is the guy on defense that I don't know if he's trying to identify or if he's evaluated him or how much Paul Rhodes is involved, but that is the model to follow if you want to have successful hires. Almost, you know, you're trying to bat a thousand, right? You're trying to hit hundred percent. So the issues I've identified, what I think are the five issues with Ohio state's defense. Number one is trigger hesitation. We hesitate to trigger. When the ball's declared, the play is handed off. It's like we're waiting for the reverse, right? It's like we're waiting for it to be a halfback pass, waiting for it to be a quarterback pull and an RPO, waiting for it to be play action. We're reactionary. We're not triggering. How do you fix that? You stop overcoaching these fucking kids and making them worry about conflicts and making mistakes. It goes back to what Urban Meyer used to say, Bob Davies used to say all the time before the game. He would say, no mistakes, right before they ran out of the tunnel. And it used to make Urban cringe because like you don't want kids playing, worrying about making mistakes. Then they don't trigger. They don't go. They don't fire. Stop overcoaching these fucking kids about conflicts and, and making mistakes and let them see the ball and go get it. We're too worried about, oh, what if the quarterback pulls it? What if it's a fake handoff and, he, and it's play action? Motherfucker, if that happens, those are secondary reactions. Those are, those are things you react to. You don't worry about. If you don't stop the primary option, the actual run play, they will never need a secondary option. They'll never need to pull the ball. They'll never need the RPO. They'll never need the play action. And you have to be rule sound. When the tight end crunches back on split zone, the tight end lines up on the right, you run a run play up the middle to the right, and the tight end crunches back left, he could kick out the defensive end, he could avoid the defensive end and block the second level for a quarterback pull, or like like Oregon did, and a lot of people do, Ohio State does it too, he could run an arrow route, and the quarterback reads it, and he pulls it and kicks it. You have to be sound on these plays and let the guys that are not responsible for that player trigger. We have two guys run with the tight end. That's just overcoaching. Too much thinking about all the bullshit. It should be simplistic rules, unchain the dogs, and let them go fucking eat. That's number one. Number two is disruption. Pressures, sacks, turnovers. And this is going to sound like a broken record. Like, holy shit. How about we have some sub packages? Put some freakier athletes on the field when it's a passing situation. How about... We blitz once in a while, right? Not a single linebacker plug where it just gets picked up and you have to defeat blocks. Like, there's some badass blitzes. Let's go to three down. Do you know how hard three down blitzes are? Holy shit, they're hard. Third and long, let's go to three down. Stand somebody up. Zach Harrison, whoever you want. You could be a four down personnel. Go to three down and bring some exotic blitzes. Try to fucking hit the quarterback. We can't hit the quarterback worth of shit. That's number two. How about a Rushman package, right? Sub packages like Haskell Garrett and Tyreek inside Zach Harrison. Maybe if he becomes a proficient pass rusher or Javante JTT on the outside, something to get pressure, get freakier athletes on the field, right? You've got like Teron Vincent in on third and nine, like probably, I mean, Teron's going to be a great player, but I don't know. He's probably not a great pass rusher. Let's get some freaks, right? Let's get some, remember when Baron Browning, I used to talk about it all the time, put him in at DN. Like, can, is Taraja Mitchell or Kayvon Pope, is one of these kids, like, explosive and a good blitzer? Like, put him at stand-up D-end. Do some shit with him. Number three is excessive rotations. Like, figure it out, man. Christ, it's week three, and we're rotating guys to see who our best options are. You've had nine fucking months to figure it out. 
And if you don't know, you got no one. You didn't develop shit. You didn't develop a starter. You didn't develop a, any depth. You didn't develop a, a group. If you don't can't figure it out, it's week three. Is a and then the next question is: Is a fresh backup cornerback better than a slightly tired starter? In my opinion, no. Not from what I've watched. Maybe when Seven Banks comes back, but right now, no. And number four, the biggest issue they have right now. That's no, not the biggest issue, but the newest issue they have is who the hell is going to play free safety. They lost a great one, and on top of losing a great one, the, sa- the other safeties had not looked good. Ryan Day said today, Ryan Watts and Court Williams are two they're going to look at, along with Marcus Hooker and Bry- Bryson Shaw. Ryan Watts intrigues me. That is a tall, long DB. And, I mean, he looked great at corner. I, I think he could he could be the guy. If, I don't know how much he's repped it. That's going to be the problem. Court Williams, Marcus Hooker, complete question marks. And Bryson Shaw, from what I've seen, no, not yet. He's not ready. And the fifth thing that most people won't talk about, and it's this is more a blanket statement, is name, image, and likeness. I'm not saying that's hurt Ohio State's defense, but this is not grown men making money. I just look at, I think about like the Florida State player that proposed to his girlfriend after the game and how everyone gave him shit, but I, I've seen a bunch of players that played against Oregon that posted a bunch of fucking advertisements on Instagram, and it's like, hey man, probably not the time. Like This is the time where you don't post ads and you, you grind and get in the film. And the problem is this isn't, like I said, grown men making money. This is young kids getting cars and posting fucking kombucha ads. Some kids can handle it, some can't. Problem is, 80% of these kids are unproven if they can or can't. Like in the NFL, you, you weed those kids out, right? The guys that get drafted in the NFL, especially the great ones, the ones that do advertisements and have these sponsorships, like they're pretty much grown men. You've already proven that in college. Now you're, who's deciding this? Like recruiting services because Quinn Ewers is the best quarterback that ever lived? Independent companies, that's, this kombucha company that says we'll give them a million dollars or whatever it is? Just crazy. It's a dangerous future for college football. So again, that is a problem right now that I'm seeing and a problem at Ohio State along with everywhere else in the country. Now, uh, is, you know, does Haskell Garrett going to have a problem? Nah, it's a grown-ass man. He'll be fine. Like I, the, some of these other, Chris Olave, is he going to have a problem? Nah, he'll handle his own. He'll be all right. But some of these young guys like Quinn Ewers, can he handle it? I don't know. How's he doing? Is he, is he playing well? We don't know yet. But here's what I will say. If a change needs to be made, there's two options right now, and you can fucking take all the nonsense in the media and these websites, and you can just, I mean, put them on a back burner. I mean, I'm not, there's some validity to some of the stuff that I saw like on Buckeye Scoop, but the rest of it's nonsense. Like, no, no one's getting hired. They're not bringing in Mark D'Antonio. That's not going to happen, right? I think that was an option that was thought about or explored, but you can't do that. Right? They don't need more humans in the staff room. They need competent leadership and a cohesively aligned staff. This is Greg Schiano's defense in 2017-2018 all over again. It really is. All It's not incompetence as a coach as much as it is fractured alignment. It's, it's inefficient. It is completely disorganized. There needs to be clearly defined roles and experts at these roles. Like on first and second down. Who's the first and second down guy? Who's the third down guy? Who's the red zone guy? Who is the expert? At each one of these situations, who's the short yardage goal line coach, right? Whose eyes are on the secondary in the box? Whose eyes are on the front seven? Whose eyes are on the opposing offenses schemes, right? It's poorly organized and complete fucking disarray. And the one thing I will tell you is this being on a dysfunctional staff and twice I have dysfunctional offensive staff, right? If a coordinator's on the field, which almost always defensive coordinators are on the field, you have to have a, a rock star, 
two really, but a rock star up in the box that's telling you what is going on and, and you're getting it fixed, right? You can't see from the sideline. So if Matt Barnes is up in the box and whoever their defensive GA is, I don't even know who it is at this point. If those guys are not communicating with Kerry that we're pressing the boundary and getting crack replaced, if they're not seeing that, they're not, if they're not great at eye discipline and seeing that stuff, you're fucked. So either that is going on and the guys in the box are terrible and or Kerry doesn't have answers or they're telling Kerry and he's saying, screw you, we're going to keep doing it, which I can't imagine someone's that dumb. But anyways, the two options are Matt Barnes gets elevated to play caller. Sounds like that's probably going to happen, right? That That's what's happening. I'm telling you, that's what's happening. Ryan Day said it today that we can't worry about hurt feelings. We have to do what's best. I was under the impression after my conversations before training camp started that that was already the case. That was already going to happen. So I don't know when they uh, got off of that path and went back to carry calling the plays, but that, that, ain't, that ain't working. So Matt Barnes probably is going to get elevated to defensive coordinator or play caller, however they fucking word it. It doesn't matter. And that's the first option. The other option is they have to fire somebody or demote them to off the field, which won't work out well. That'll never work out well. And then Paul Rhodes gets elevated to defensive full-time defensive uh, coach or defensive coordinator if you want to make a big jump, which Ryan even said that wouldn't be fair to him. So those are the two options. That One of those two is going to happen. I'm telling you right now, Matt Barnes will be elevated to play caller. We'll see how it works out, right? Because remember, pr- whether he's the problem or not, he's part of the problem. Part of the problem. It'll be interesting to see uh, some big games this week, and, and we're going to talk about a couple of them quickly, and then we're going to get into in-depth a little bit on a couple. But real quick, before we go there, a quick word. I want you to do me a favor. Sign up, man. Sign up for my bookie. Go on. Sign up. Use the free bet. I mean, and see if you can hit. It's, it's a really good deal. And uh, my bookie's been loyal to us as we've been loyal to them. So if you do me a favor, check them out. Here's a quick word from my bookie. The NFL is back in action, and so is winning season at MyBookie. With over $500,000 in contest prize money, winning season makes the big games better and the victories even sweeter. Head to MyBookie.ag and choose from a variety of boosts, contests, and promotions up for grabs, highlighted by the crown jewel of winning season, the famed MyBookie Super Contest. It only costs $10 to enter. Pick five games against the spread each week, each win earns you a point, and each point gets you closer to the grand prize. If you missed out on week one, don't even sweat it, because entries are still open, and all it takes is one solid week to get you back in the mix. Don't just take my word for it. Join now and start your winning season with my bookie today. In order to get you started, make your first deposit at mybookie.ag and use our promo code menace m-e-n-a-c-e to instantly receive double your deposit that's double your money to double your winnings with your first ever deposit using promo code menace bet anything anytime anywhere with my bookie there you have it go on my bookie get some free cash bet some college football shit i'm gonna give you a couple plays here menace to picks i'll give you a couple more just go on my bookie sign up go get that free money and go start to play start to build a bankroll um, qu- a couple quick hitters. Nebraska plays at Oklahoma. Um, I don't know what to say about Nebraska. I mean, I'll tell you, if, if Scott Frost needs a win, though, good God, does he need this game. I, I don't see it happening. I know Oklahoma hasn't been dominant yet, but Nebraska looked putrid. Um, and, I mean, the, when they lost to Illinois, and, and they bounced back against nobody. But I I, I, I honestly I, – Oklahoma's going to win the game. Um, I'm excited to watch Nick Benito, uh, the – outside linebacker DN from Oklahoma because I haven't got to watch a ton of Oklahoma. I watched their Illinois game uh, or not Illinois game. My gosh, 
I watched their first game of the year, and uh, outside of that, I haven't really got to watch them much. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited to see Spencer Rattler. Uh, it'll be a good game. Nebraska's on the road in Big 12 country. Somehow that'll get thrown in the Big Ten's face when they get slaughtered. But it's going to happen. Big matchup that I'm excited for. Not a lot to talk about, but Cincinnati at Indiana. This is Luke Fickle's chance right here. He has a chance to beat a Power 5 team, and I think they're going to win the game. I'm just I'm saying it right now. Cincinnati's going to beat Indiana. He has a chance to do it convincingly because Cincinnati's offense, their run game, their throw game, it is a complete offense. Their defense has been dominant. And it's funny because you look you look at it, right, and you look at uh, Marcus Freeman and what he's done at Notre Dame since he left, and they've been awful on defense, and Cincinnati is just dominant. They're the number two pass defense in the country right now. It, challenge coverage. Luke, Luke loves challenge coverage, right? Teaching what we don't do, right? Play with vision. Break on the ball when the front end comes off the ball, right? Playing man coverage, playing in-your-face challenge coverage. He, he, Everything they do on defense when I've watched them this year and last year, really, everything is challenged. Never do you just get some soft-ass zone coverage like I watched with Ohio State and a lot of other teams, honestly, where you get soft zone coverage and you're relying on inaccuracies and you're relying on athletes being better than the other team. They don't do that at Cincinnati. They challenge everything. They're the number two pass defending defense in the country. They, they've given up 45% completions. And couple that with Michael Penix Jr. has struggled this year. I've never thought he was a great quarterback. I think that Cincinnati creates turnovers in the throw game. They give him hell. They give him fits. I think their offense is going to move the ball up and down the field. I think Cincinnati gets a convincing win in this Indiana-Cincinnati matchup. They get that power five win that is going to vault them, right? Give them the confidence to go take down a below-average Notre Dame team. Don't tell anyone because we want if you if you love college football, you want people to think Notre Dame is good, so that Cincinnati can knock them off their horse and and put themselves in a, in a position to maybe make a postseason, right? Not a bowl, but the playoff, something like that. Because I you would love to see it for Luke. The Cincinnati team deserves it. I think they're that good. I really do. I don't think they'll win at all. I don't think they're capable of that. But I think they win this game against Indiana. So book it right now, Indiana, Cincinnati, Cincinnati wins. All right, the two big games that I want to really talk about. The SEC Big Ten matchup, Auburn at Penn State. Going to be a big game. Bo Nix and, and the Tigers go into Happy Valley, a whiteout. Go ahead and give Penn State about a nine-point advantage. They're starting the game off up 9 nothing because a whiteout at Penn State is like nothing you'll ever see. Honest, I honestly think it's the best single atmosphere in college football. It's not Penn State's not the best stadium. It's not the best anything other than a night whiteout against a big-time opponent. You can put it whatever you want up against it. A night game in the horseshoe is better than a night game in Penn State unless they do a whiteout, whatever it is. The intimidation factor, Ohio State's done blackouts before, which are cool, but a whiteout at Penn State is like nothing I've ever seen. Nothing. And I think anyone that has been in the SEC and Big Ten will say the same. A night game at LSU, fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. But a whiteout at Penn State? Number one, number one in the country starts there. Secondly, let's all relax on Auburn. Let's not forget this Auburn team a year ago. Are they better? I mean, they look like it, but they beat Kent State and beat Alabama State. So this is, I mean, this is a completely unproven Auburn team. All they had was two scrimmages and two extra weeks of training camp is basically what they had. This team is a complete unknown. Now, granted, winning those two games combined 122 to 10, that's a little impressive. I mean, it's tough to do against anybody, but I'm not sold 
on the Auburn train at all. And I, I don't think anybody really is. I'm also not sold on the Penn State train right now. Penn State has thrown the ball average, and the run game has been a disappointment. Their offense was disappointing, right? Their defense was dominant against Wisconsin. Their offense was just yuck. Noah Kane, their running back, hasn't wowed anyone. The O-line is below, has been below average in the run game. When I watch their film, I, I, I don't see an elite offense or an offense that's capable of elite status, right? Sometimes you see offenses that flash and you're like, man, if they could be more consistent, they'll be a great offense. I don't see that with Penn State. I think Noah Kane has a chance to be a really good back, right? I don't think this O-line and tight end group is going to become a dominant run game unit. I mean, they're the, right now they're ninth in the Big Ten in run game grades on Pro Football Focus, so I don't see it. And can Sean Sean Clifford obviously had a bad year last year. I think he's capable of more, but the question is, can he throw it downfield and can he throw it to his blind side? Because he's four of thirteen on deep balls this year already, right? Which is terrible. I mean, what is that? That's below twenty five percent, like 23 percent. That's terrible. Ten of twenty three over ten yards, forty three percent. Still not great. And here's what's concerning. He has zero completions to his blind side over 10 yards. That means he's working two-thirds of the field when he turns his back to the defense, right? If you're going to throw a ball under 10 yards, like an eight-yard route, you don't really need to fully turn your body. You you aren't blind for a drop, right? A quarterback drop. But he has zero completions to the left side of the field outside the hash mark. He only throws middle field right hash. Why? Because that's where he's facing. That's where his vision is, right? That's concerning to me. One, because that's tendency heavy. That's heavy as shit. I don't know if I've seen that. And two, you got to be able to play 53 and a third, man. You got to be able to spread the field, spread the ball around. This is going to be a pressure game. I can guarantee you that. Not only is Auburn's defense a pressure style of defense, but Sean Clifford and the pass pro, they need to buckle the fuck up. I mean, he was 38% under pressure in 2021, same exact, so far this year, same exact percentage as all of 2020. This is the Achilles heel of Sean Clifford, if there is one, outside of throwing to his left, apparently. He cannot perform under pressure, and best believe, war damn eagle, they are going to be bringing the, the heat. The question is, will Penn State develop a dynamic run game against this fairly veteran defense in Auburn? I think the most important stat of the day is Auburn has a dude named Smoke Monday. The fucker's name is Smoke Monday. Let's just start right there. He's a safety named Smoke Monday. They got to be a badass, right? I mean, he's, he's got to be an impact player solely because of his name. Top five names in college football easily. So it's going to be interesting to see if this offense can find a spark, man. They're going to have to pick up pressures. Sean Clifford's going to have to be able to throw against depleted pressure coverages, blitz coverages, and they're going to have to run the ball. I mean, they're going to have to find a solution against a pretty veteran defense. I think this is going to be the difference in the game right there. Now, Bo Nix, albeit understand the competition, right? He looks like he's improved on deep balls over 10 yards and under pressure, right? Well, you can't really say under pressure. We'll get to that in a minute. But deep balls, here's the thing. Deep balls are not usually opponent dependent outside of maybe someone bearing down your face when you throw it. I mean, deep balls are kind of timing. If you get open, it's more, can you accurately throw the ball on time over 20 yards? That's what it is, right? He was 29% on deep balls in 2020, 67% this year. So he's over doubled his success rate on deep balls. Again, understanding the competition. I get it. Not big games, not big atmospheres, not a lot of, you know, mental or psychological pressure, let alone not a lot of physical defensive pressure. So there's a lot of factors here, but looks improved. 
Throws over 10 yards. In 2020, he completed 35% of throws over 10 yards. I've always told you that's where big boy, big time quarterbacks thrive. This year, 64% in 2021. So he's almost doubled that success rate. Under pressure, he was 41% last year. Zero touchdowns, three interceptions. I mean, he he's a lot like Sean Clifford, struggle, struggled under pressure. He's That's a complete unknown this year. Shit, he's only, he's only been under pressure three times this year so far, so we have no ID. No ID. Uh, no idea. Um, they got Tank Bigsby, who's, who's, I think, one of the better backs in the SEC. This freshman that's played kind of mop-up duty and played a little bit, Jarquez Hunter, the, the Mississippi madness, the Mississippi kid. Um, they've combined for f- almost 500 yards on 41 attempts, 12 yards per carry. Granted, they're playing no one, but Penn State's defense has is, is got a test on them, right? If Bo Nix is truly Im- improved the way that his numbers and films say he is against better opponent, this could be a pretty legit game. I think it's going to be a great game to watch. So my prediction, as I give you my prediction, I think Penn State wins by three points at home. Credit the whiteout. Bo Nix, right, struggled in big atmospheres, struggled under pressure, struggled doing all of that last year. Unfortunately for him, he was given two cupcakes. Not even like, he couldn't get like a, I don't know, Central Florida or somebody, you know, somebody that might be kind of a test, but it's not Alabama, right? Kind of a test, but it's not, a, you know, Oregon. He didn't even get like a, a medium test to get him ready to go into the fucking whiteout. What? This kid, he better bring his, his big boy britches and two pairs because he might shit one of them. So I think I think Bo Nix is gonna he's gonna play better than he did last year. I think he's gonna have a decent day, but I think he will struggle a little bit because this is an absolute inferno he's walking into in Happy Valley. I think Penn State wins the game by three. Book it. The other game, the SEC game of the week, and really the game of the week, Alabama at Florida. Alabama's got to go to the swamp. Can Dan Mullen find a way? Before we talk about all this analysis that I have, I will tell you this. Dan Mullen is really good at creating issues for other teams, especially in games of this magnitude. That is what he does. Is he going to go 12-0? Not in my opinion. Is he going to win the SEC? Not in my opinion. Is he going to win a national championship? Obviously not in my opinion. But can he pull off one of those, holy shit, they just beat Alabama? Yes. 100% capable. He is a brilliant, brilliant human being. Not a good recruiter. Not really a good football coach. But... He's a brilliant mind, offensive mind, right? This is the ninth best team in the SEC overall pro football focus in Florida. And they have the sixth best offense, 12th best defense. So not dominant by any means. But let's talk about Florida's offense. 11th in the SEC throwing the ball, right? Top rushing offense in the SEC. So they've been able to run the ball. Uh, granted, they haven't played shit at FAU in, in South Florida. So to be 11th in throwing the ball after those two opponents, like fucking watch out. Alabama only allows 2.3 yards per carry. So they're, they're second to last. Now, Alabama can't hasn't been great defending the pass this year so far. They're 113th in the NCAA, second to last in the SEC, giving up 67% completion. So the question is this. Where does Florida go on offense? They got the guy that everyone's talking about, AR-15, and it's not the gun. Anthony Richardson, number 15 in your program, number one in your heart. He's the highest graded passer in the SEC right now, and he's only attempted, what, like 10 passes. He is a wildcat QB that has thrown the ball a little bit, right? He, has, he had three passing attempts against South Florida, seven against FAU. 
He played 26 snaps in week one at FAU, only 11 in week two against South Florida. The difference between him and Henry Jones is, I mean, it's vast. No. He's four for seven on deep balls. Think about it. He's thrown 10 passes. Seven of them were over 20 yards. That is a wildcat guy that can throw, right? That's what it is. He's dynamic. Listen, he is a dynamic son of a bitch when he runs the ball now. So just be ready for that. There's, they're going to have a unique offense to attack Bama. And it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be AR-15. I think he's going to come out the gate trying to run the Wildcat offense. That is a Dan Mullen thing to do. And uh, so, like I said, he was four of seven on deep balls. Eight of his 10 pass attempts have been over 10 yards. So this is not like a Wildcat quarterback that's just throwing play action arrow routes. Like he's throwing the ball down the field. But I don't understand why he's declining reps, right? Why did he play 26 snaps at FAU? Because Emory Jones struggled, right? 11 snaps in week two versus USF. Emory Jones is never going to be the big-time quarterback at Florida that people hope he would be. He Right now, he's, the four, he's 14th in the SEC as a passer, has a 41% grade on pro football focus. He completes 38% of his passes, 38 over 10 yards, 36% of his passes when it's outside the hash mark. So he's literally only good or only proficient under 10 yards in the middle of the field. He's one for six on deep balls. Granted, not a big sample size, but the kid misses more than he hits. Way more. I mean, 72% of the time, over 10 yards, he misses, right? And the crazy part is he's been protected. He has 53 passes, passing plays this year. 42 of them he was kept clean. He has one touchdown and four interceptions on those 42 snaps where he was kept clean. That's bad, bad, like really bad. Alabama has uh, produced 26 pressures in two games, nine sacks. Florida, the one thing they've done well on offense is pass protection. They've only allowed five total QB pressures in two games, zero sacks. John Hevesy, the line coach there, long time. uh, He's been with Dan Mullen literally since 2001 at Bowling Green with Urban Meyer. I mean, he is a longtime assistant and O-line coach. He has that O-line and tight end, really everyone, running back, tight end, everyone, all of them in pass pro playing extremely well. So if they can pick up pressure and if they can devise Oh, like a badass wildcat offense, like a Cam Newton-esque offense. Now, I'm not saying AR-15's Cam Newton, but if they can devise a plan like that, they got a chance to put up some points on the Crimson Tide. Then you flip the other side of the ball, UF defense, honestly, averaging seven and a half missed tackles a game against FAU and USF, so that's probably double digits against a good team, right? Kind of for comparison's sake, Alabama only has nine missed tackles on the year, and they played Miami and Mercer. So fucking, what's Mercer? But for what it's worth, nine on the year, four and a half average, and UF against FAU and and, and USF has seven and a half on average. So 53rd best passing defense percentage-wise, 79th in passing yards, and consider the competition. This is my biggest concern on why I don't think Florida has a chance. They have been awful defending the pass against FAU and USF. What the fuck is that going to look like against Bryce Young and and, and Jamison Williams and Mechie? And like, it, it's not going to be pretty. Alabama's averaging 310 yards throwing uh, per game throwing the ball, only 4.2 yards per carry. Alabama has allowed, here, here's the side note, Alabama's allowed 27 QB pressures, and the one thing Florida's done well on defense is they got after quarterbacks now. 47 pressures in two games, nine sacks. Again, consider the opponent. But here's what I want to talk about that no one in the country is talking about. All they want to talk about is Bryce Young is this. C.J. Stroud should be more like Bryce Young. How about this for you? Bryce Young is 1 for 10 on deep balls, 10%. 
He has thrived and lived from 0 to 20 yards, right? He's 27 of 31, 87% in that 0 to 20 yard mark. That's great, right? 362 yards. 37 of his 45 completions, that is 82% of all of his completions, are right in the middle of the field between the hash marks. 86% of his yards are between the hash marks. He is not making difficult throws. He is living in missionary position. Like he's not even letting the girl get on top. <laughs> he is not, they're not doing anything with him. Everything is middle of the field. Almost everything. 80, 82% of his completions are in middle of the field. So one for 10 on deep balls, doesn't throw it outside the hash as well. Yikes. Is anyone going to talk about that? I know he's looked phenomenal because they've set him up to look phenomenal. Whereas CJ Stroud is being asked to do more. Launch it down the field and complete more balls, right? And Alabama doesn't have the drops that Ohio State has. So just for a little comparison note, Bryce Young's not getting asked to do shit. He's going to have to eventually to win a game, and it might be this game. Because Dan Mullen is a stat-driven son of a bitch. He, everything I just said, he's probably sitting there li listening to the show, because I'm sure he listens, saying, oh man, don't tell him that. That was our whole game plan. Take away the middle of the field. Make him throw it deep and outside. I'm telling you right now, watch out. Watch out. Bryce Young's either going to prove his stats and film wrong, or this might be a game. I'm just saying. I think Alabama will struggle if and only if Florida can disrupt Bryce Young. Pass pro hasn't been stellar at Alabama, and Florida has gotten after opposing quarterbacks. They need to force Bryce Young to make some big boy throws, deep balls, Throws outside the hashes, right? Make him beat you with NFL-level throws, NFL-caliber throws. Alabama doesn't have Najee Harris anymore. I like Brian Robinson Jr. He's looked proficient. The run game and run blocking has been average at best. So they need to make Bama run the ball and throw it deep and outside the hashes. Pressure the shit out of Bryce Young. Pressure the hell out of him. If, if Florida had an above-average offense, I think this Bama team is beatable, and I think they might be able to do it, but they don't have an above-average offense. Dan Mullen's going to have to come out with a, 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 a trick, trick like a horse and pony show, smoke and mirrors. He's going to have to do all kinds of shit to move the ball on this defense. I think Bama wins, but I don't think they cover. If you're a gambling person, my play is Florida plus 14 and a half. So we'll see how these plays go. Like I said, sign up for my bookie, take that free money, put a little parlay. What I say? Florida plus 14 and a half. That was my one play. What was my other play? I got to go back. Penn State by three. I think you need to take the money line. They're favored by four and a half or five and a half. So Penn State money line. If you want to risk it, go Auburn plus points. I wouldn't. I'd take Penn State money line. Um, Cincinnati money line for sure. Oklahoma money line. There it is. Do that parlay. Oklahoma money line. Cincinnati money line. Matter, matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text a buddy of mine. And I'm going to have him put some money on it. And if it hits, we'll buy one fan something. How about that? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll buy somebody something if it hits. Um, so shoot me an email if you want in on the potential giveaway. Um, anyways, that's what a weekend of college football. Let's get it going, man. Let's see if Ohio State can fix some things. Let's see what Ryan Day's decisions are and how much better the defense looks. Remember, they play themselves for two weeks. Ohio State is playing Ohio State for two weeks. Got to get better. Bit, two big games. Excited to watch the SEC Big Ten showdown in Happy Valley and then the SEC showdown in Gainesville, Florida in the swamp in front of 92,000 people. Or singing orange and blue, Mr. Two Bits, the whole deal. Excited to watch it, man. Hope you all enjoy your weekend. Hope you, inter uh, oh my God. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you were entertained. Hope you learned something. Hope you got a little nugget where you're watching the game and you could say, damn it, Zach said that. There it is. 
Uh, that's the whole point of the show. But hope you enjoyed it. Hope you're entertained. And if you didn't, as we say, go fuck yourself, San Diego. Watches downfield. It's Olave. He's got a touchdown. Ohio State. Why am I talking to you? You're not even in football. Yeah. Did you even play to the high school level? You took journalism. It's a bunch of nerds interrupting people who know what they're doing. <laughs> it goes to the corner, dies to the corner. He didn't get there. No, they say he did. And Indiana wins. The commissioner could literally punt a baby with his wingtips on. I'm still going to watch on Sunday. Looking for the deep ball. Touchdown, Ohio State. Garrett Olsen. I don't condone the man's actions, but it's football. I have to watch it. This is all I have. On first down, it's Brees Hall. He doesn't go down. He might go all the way. He stays on his feet again and scores. I wasn't going to hit a woman, but then that guy in the Ravens did it, so I guess it's okay. Okay.